Welcome to the Your Lender Buddy podcast. This podcast is designed to empower real estate professionals with industry knowledge that they need to succeed. Without further ado, I'll pass it on to Jordan Keck for today's episode. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jordan, your lender buddy. Today, I want to talk to you about reducing sale fails from financing. It's something that causes a lot of frustration for everybody involved, and more often than not, it's completely preventable. So think through how many times you've either been in this situation or heard of it from somebody in your office where your buyers are excited to move into their new home. It's a perfect one. You've searched for dozens and dozens of homes at this point. They've put in their notice on the rental and scheduled their family and their movers already. You've even been invited to the barbecue at their new place next month. You're a week out from closing when, out of nowhere, your clients call you in tears. Their lender called and told them they can't approve them for the loan anymore and they have to cancel the contract. You're blindsided. I mean, how could this happen? They were pre-approved. The lender said everything was fine three days ago. They should have called you first to figure out a solution. And now your clients are freaking out on you. Your mind is racing. And even if you can get your preferred lender to help them out, which they should have gone with in the first place and they didn't listen to you when you told them that, there's no way that you can close on time anymore. They might lose the home and be homeless since they already gave their notice on their rental. The sellers are going to be pissed and the listing agent is going to yell at you. Your stomach is getting tight and suddenly a great day turned into a nightmare. You begin wondering what went wrong and what should you have done differently to prevent this from happening? Sound familiar? Now I hope that you've never had to go through this situation, but the truth is it's more common than anybody wants it to be. There are some situations which are completely unavoidable, but it's a very small percentage of the whole from transactions that fall through. There are things that you can do to reduce your chances of being in a situation like this, whether helping a buyer or a seller. Lending is an incredibly complicated process. It's very similar to taxes. A good CPA is one You can rely on to know the tax code so well that you don't have to. But a bad CPA is going to cost you money you shouldn't have had to pay because they didn't know all the tax guides well enough to use to your advantage. Lenders are the same way. A great lender will avoid the vast majority of these potential problems before they ever even come up. And the best thing that you can do is have somebody like that who prevents problems from happening. Someone who calls you first to work through potential issues before they become fires and takes responsibilities for mistakes by finding solutions in the rare times that they do come up. But you don't always get to choose who your clients use as a lender. So occasionally you'll be working with that lender who isn't as good as you would like. And just like a CPA, in those cases, you have to step up and know more of the guidelines to do their job for them. It's not fair but it's the truth. Now there's private information the lender will not be able to share about the client situation. We're not gonna be talking about that, but I do want you to dig a little bit deeper when asking a lender about the client's pre-approval than just getting an answer that they're all good to go. From my experience, 99% of all financing issues come down to four things. Number one, unverified down payment source. Number two, surprise expenses or credit issues. Number three, 
loan officer inexperience with guidelines, and number four, incorrect income calculations. So let's break these down. Starting off, there are some questions that you can ask the loan officer about a scenario without violating privacy to understand what level of risk you might be taking within this transaction. Because the more moving pieces and the less documentation, the greater chance for sale fail. So our goal is to try and identify what those potential risks and variations are, and then if the loan officer has taken proper precautions to document and prevent those from becoming an issue. So starting first on down payment. Number one question you wanna ask first for a down payment to prevent any issues, do you have, talking to the loan officer, do you have bank statements from the client showing the down payment in the account? Follow-up question to that, if the answer is yes, is have the funds been seasoned and are they from an eligible source? Ideally, you get yes answers to both of those, you're good to go. But if the answer is no, if they don't have bank statements showing the down payment in their account, well then where will the down payment be coming from? This is often something you do have to disclose on the contract, but it's rare that it ever makes it there. So asking this loan officer, most common two places are gonna be from a donor or from a loan. If it's a donor, follow question, have you spoken to the donor and confirmed their willingness to send funds and if necessary, provide copies of their bank statements? I can't tell you the number of times where I've had a client say that they've got a family member who's willing to give a gift and turns out they've never even talked to them. I was the first one to have that conversation. In other situations where the person giving the money doesn't want to provide their bank statements. They'd rather let the deal fall through than provide bank statements even though they've already given somebody in their family over $20,000. Happens all the time. So second one, that was if their money's coming from a donor. If the money's coming from a loan, most often it's going to be from a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, a refinance, or another secured loan. The reason for that is you can't use unsecured loans without seasoning the money. So let's assume it's a secured loan. Question on that, have you accounted for the estimated payment into the client's debt to income ratio? See, when you're assuming that a loan's going to be taken out in order to provide down payment funds, you do have to account for that payment. Otherwise, the payments might be too high for them to qualify on that loan. And then the follow up on that one. Are you, loan officer, the one providing the loan for those funds? Because if not, you need to determine who is doing the loan, what's the ETA on those funds being available, and ideally get a contact person, whether it's at a credit union for a car loan, or whether it's from a bank for a HELOC, whatever the situation may be, you wanna know who's the one doing that loan and so you have a direct point of contact there. All right, that covers down payment. Number two. Surprise expenses and credit issues. This is the second area of potential issues that can come up. So the first question to ask, have you spoken to the client or sent them info on not getting new credit or spending their funds to close? See, a lot of the times good real estate agents will already be having this conversation with their clients up front, so they are not getting into situations where they're spending that money and not getting new credit, not pulling new credit for store credit card discounts in the middle of their purchase transaction. If the money is going to be coming from a donor, 
Have you spoken to the donor and confirmed their willingness to send funds? And if necessary, provide copies of their bank statements. I can't tell you the number of times where a client has told me they've got a family member who's willing to provide money for a gift, but they haven't even spoken to them yet. The next most common one is providing bank statements. The number, I mean, I've seen plenty of times where someone's willing to give five, 10, 15, $20,000, but they're not willing to provide a bank statement, which is required when you're doing a gift on an FHA loan. Next most common source of funds is going to be a HELOC, a home equity line of credit or refinance, some kind of a secured loan. And on that one, you wanna make sure the loan officer has accounted for the estimated payment. So loan officer, have you accounted for the estimated payment on that loan into the client's debt to income ratio? And are you the one providing the loan for those funds? If not, you need to determine who the contact person is for that loan and get an ETA on those funds being available. All right, that wraps us up for down payment questions. Next up is going to be surprise expenses or credit issues. These questions, first and foremost, have you spoken to the client or sent them info on not getting new credit, having their credit pulled, and spending their funds before closing? Most of the time, I find really good real estate agents are already having this conversation up front anyway, but hey, better to have it on two fronts. So on the real estate side and on the lending side, prevent those just by knowledge. And then number two, are you planning on their credit or debt situation changing between now and closing in order to approve them for the loan? Are you planning on their credit or debt situation changing? And that could be a few different things. Most commonly, that's going to be, it's contingent on them paying down debt. So for example, I might pre-approve somebody for $500,000 based on having them pay off a car. Now, as long as I verify that they have the funds to do that, they can pay that off at closing, not going to affect their credit score, no problem. But any of these changes, they could be based on them paying down debt, it could be based on an increasing credit score, removing a collection or a judgment that's on the report. So you don't necessarily, again, we're not getting into privacy issues. You don't have to know what that is, but just knowing that it is based on something changing, you can factor that into your decisions when either choosing to accept an offer or if you're working with a buyer, getting more details or making sure that that's documented so you have a solid pre-approval. Moving on, area three, loan officer inexperience with guidelines. The third biggest issue here I see for sale fails. On this one, you wanna ask questions, basically making sure the loan officer has done their job. You'd be shocked the number of times these things that seem basic to me do not get done. First one, have you run automated underwriting on the file? Now, automated underwriting is a system that verifies the loan meets the credit guidelines for each loan program they're being approved for. This doesn't necessarily purely follow the guidelines. For example, there is no minimum credit score for an FHA loan. A lot of people don't know that. There's no minimum. Lenders will have individual overlays, meaning you can go to a particular company and they might have a minimum credit score of a 580 or 600 or 620, but FHA technically doesn't have that. What they use is automated underwriting to determine the overall risk for the loan. And they might not approve a loan 
even with a 600 or 620 credit score, but they might approve another with a lower credit score based on the overall risk. So you wanna make sure they run automated underwriting. Question number two, have you accounted for any flood insurance or potential homeowners association dues on this property? Depending on the area you are, Texas, I know there are certain communities where there's a village property tax as well as a county property tax. Those are things they're gonna be wanting, wanting to account for that. I know that in Florida, getting homeowner insurance on a property is not a guarantee. A lot of companies are pulling out right now and those that are still insuring are often very high on the premium. So making sure that that's accounted for. So you wanna ensure any variation on fees for the specific property are taken into account. And you'll often know those things before the loan officer does. So it's not necessarily a failure on their part, but it's making sure that those are accounted for. Question number three, if there are any unique aspects to the property, can you confirm that this type of property will be eligible for the financing you've approved the clients for? Examples of this could be a condo, manufactured home, property with acreage, the condition of the home, the age of the home, if there are unpermitted additions or work that's been done, something like that. Now, those are things you're likely going to have more familiarity with than the loan officer when looking at the property. So proactively bringing those to the loan officer and addressing those is going to go a long way in reducing those sale fails. Now, a good loan officer, before they issue any pre-approval letter, should be looking at that property and making sure it fits into those guidelines. For example, if you've had a property that you're looking at with a client and it's a condo, well, is that client approved for a loan on a condo? Maybe, maybe not. And then the last area here, in the fourth area, incorrect income calculations. This is by far the biggest area that I see cause sale fails. Yes, it could be lumped in with loan officer and experience, but ultimately, we're going to keep it a separate category just because there's a good chunk of questions here to ask, and it, it really deserves its own category. First, does the client have a variable source of income that you're using to qualify? And a variable could be bonus, it could be overtime, it could be commission, it could be part-time income, or it could be self-employment or a number of other things. So if you've got variable income and the client is employed, the next question is, have you as a loan officer already received a verification of employment for their income and determined that you can use the income you are using for them to qualify? Now, verification of employment, that's going to break down the history of income from that employer. You usually need a two-year history of receiving those variable types of income, and your pay stubs and your W-2s don't often break those down between a base pay and what's bonus or overtime or commission. So your verification of employment, that document's very important. And so if you do have somebody employed with variable income, you want to make sure that that verification of employment is received upfront or that they're not using variable income. If they're on salary or if it's a base pay at 40 hours a week, they're not counting bonus or overtime, not as big a deal. If the clients are self-employed, have you gotten two years worth of tax returns and verified that they have been self-employed for at least two years? Those questions, these are going to really reduce the chance of sale fail due to issues here. Number two, are you relying on income from future jobs in order to be used to qualify? 
So good example of this one. Client is moving up from California to Oregon. They can't work at their current job. They have a new job that they've been offered. So they have an offer letter, but they haven't started the job yet. That's okay. You can still use income from a future job that hasn't been started yet to qualify under certain circumstances. So your question there, do you have a signed non-contingent employment contract for future income? That's what you're going to need. If the client has just said, hey, I'm going to be starting a job, they've offered me the job, but they don't have any documentation, that's an issue. So you want to get a signed non-contingent employment contract for that job. And then thirdly here, last one, are they relying on non-employment or self-employment income to qualify? So this would be things like social security income, disability, pension, retirement distributions, trust income, child support, you name it. Things outside of being employed or self-employed. And the question there comes down to, have you documented the current amount and confirmed a three-year continuance? Really good example here is child support. You can use child support under certain circumstances to qualify as income on a loan, but it has to have at least a three-year continuance. Most of the time, child support is going to end when the child is 18 years old. So if we have a divorce decree or a support order, and we verify that the ages of the kids and, and everything in there is 15 years old, well, that means they've got less than three years before they're 18, so we have less than three years of that income continuing, and most of the time, we won't be able to use it. If all that the loan officer hears is, I'm getting paid child support, it's been consistent, you know, they've been paying it for five years, but they don't factor in how long it's going to continue, or they don't have it documented, you know, somebody can easily remember, oh yeah, it'll be about three and a half years, turns out it's just under three, well, that makes a big difference. Three years and one month is fine. Two years and 11 months is not three years, would not be able to be counted for a loan. So this is why these questions are important. One, do you know where it's coming from? Two, is it documented? This is a lot. So use what applies to your situation and your comfort level. You don't need to ask all these questions every time. But having some of these generic questions in your tool belt will be able to give you a much greater confidence level in your lender or confirm suspicions that your clients need to switch lenders before it goes any further. As always, hope that this is helpful. Be sure to subscribe for more great content, pass this along to your team, and let's elevate real estate together. This podcast has been brought to you by Jordan Keck, NMLS number 1017341, Branch Manager at Advantage Mortgage Incorporated, 5955 Shoreview Lane, North Suite 200, Kaiser, Oregon 97303. Company NMLS 1770599, equal housing lender. Jordan Keck is licensed in Oregon, Arizona, California, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Texas, and Washington. Until next time, thanks again for listening.